thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hey there, wonderful listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today on Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And as usual, please make sure that you're following us on social media. So we are the Wellness Women official on Instagram, the Wellness Women on Facebook. I am DrAndrea.xo on Instagram um, and uh, YouTube, apparently. Uh, I am the Period Whisperer on Facebook. And you can find Ashley as Dr. Ashley Bond on, on all mediums. That is, if you haven't subscribed to us yet, make sure that you, you do that um, right now. And we would love for you to, to go onto iTunes, give us a five-star rating um, um, if you feel that we deserve that because that's how we say in the top of iTunes, um, and we really, really, really do appreciate all of your feedback. Thank you so, so much. Um, I am super excited about this episode because of our amazing guest that we have on tonight. Um, and it's funny because I'm going to get uh, some feedback from our guest about how well we've covered a topic so far. Um, and when I introduce her, you'll you'll start to kind of piece together the puzzles of what I mean. Um, so tonight we are welcoming welcoming the hair physio, so Jane Davis. Um, so Jane is a certified clinical trichologist. Um, she's our resident hair and scalp expert, and takes a completely holistic approach to supporting patients with with their, their hair and scalp problems um, because it's rarely a single issue, and it usually you know, a really multifactorial problem. So Jane takes really comprehensive analysis in order to get to the root cause of those problems, which we love, which certainly is completely congruent with our philosophy on health as well. Um, So she is the hair physio. Jane, welcome to Wellness Women Radio. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. 
Oh, it is our pleasure. And Jane, I know you listened to the episode that we did on hair loss in women, um, you know, uh, quite a few months ago. How did we do? You did great. I actually discovered <laughs> that by accident. It was a patient that came in and I said, oh, how did you find out about me? She was like, you're, you're on a podcast. And I was like, what podcast? <laughs> and then she was women. And then I went back and listened to it. And then obviously, thanks for the name check. And yeah, you, you guys did great. You guys did great. I love your work anyway. You know, you're always on point with your information and stuff. So it's just nice to add to that and come at it from a, a much more of a trichological perspective. So, yeah. And let's get into that, Jane. So I did say that you're a, you're a clinical trichologist. What is a trichologist? That's a bit of a mouthful. Yeah, what absolutely. What is it that you do? So trichology itself is the paramedical science of the hair and scalp. So we're basically, the best way to describe us is we're like hair scientists. So we study hair and scalp disorders and diseases and also scalp concerns as well. So we really support dermatologists and GPs in their work. So in clinical practice, we generally look after all types of hair loss problems. Um, There are a few normally in the scarring alopecia that we generally do refer to a dermatologist, but the majority of them we can take care of. We look after all scalp conditions as well, so from dandruff, seborrheic dermatitis, so yeah, so we pretty much take care of all the hair and scalp issues. That's amazing. And Jane, how did you get into this? Because it's a very, um, very specific, very unique field. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, what interested you in in this field in the first place? So I first started my hair career back in 1994 in the UK, and I'd actually been working in a hairdressing salon since I was 12. So I was very, very young, very young. So I've been in the industry for quite a while. And I'd been a hairdresser for 10 years, and I was working in a salon in the UK, and this lady came in, and she was chatting to me about this brand called Philip Kingsley. And I was like, Philip Kingsley, I've never heard of them. And Philip Kingsley was actually a trichologist. He's now passed away. And this course was offered in London. It was basic, intermediate, intermediate and advanced hair science. So I went along, met Philip, and he changed my career overnight. Um, and it's from then on. And that was back in 2004. So I've actually incorporated trichology into my business for quite a long time. So I'm not new to the industry. It's just that our clinical practice in Perth has only been open for four and a half years. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing. It's such a great job. I love it. Well, I, that does sound fascinating. Um, really getting to the, the uh, no pun intended, um, you know, looking at people's hair and scalp and, and you know, deciphering so much about their, their health or wellness from that perspective. Yeah. So when somebody comes in to see me for a consultation, so our consultations are generally, they're quite long to begin with. They are like an interview. Okay, mm-hmm. so We do take into consideration, in, into consideration quite a lot of information. So we look at their wellness, their health, their medical history. Um, then we generally do a digital microscopic analysis during the appointment. Okay, so that gives us an, another bit of information that we can't see with the eyes. So that really tells us how well the follicles are performing, whether you've got the right hairs per follicle. And we can generally see things like microinflammation under the skin, whether or not there's anything like miniaturization occurring, which is associated with the thinning process. Once we've done that, we generally gather in some up-to-date blood tests. 
And then we go from there in terms of anything that needs to be managed or treated. So it's quite a long process, but we do that so the the patient gets the best outcome. That's awesome, Jane. What I really loved about, um, you know, finding out more about what you were doing is uh, that you work with both men and women. Um, and of course, you know, it's pretty common, like there's plenty of ads on TV targeting men for male pattern baldness and all sorts of different things related to hair loss and, you know, self-image, but very few women know that there's somewhere they can turn to if they've got concerns with their, their hair loss or hair thinning um, because it's so, I think there's a very different approach between men and women. What do you tend to find? Absolutely. So we didn't set the business up to be anti-men. <laughs> no, no. 95% of my patients are female. Mm. So quite a lot. We do see men and they we have a similar approach to them as we do to females. But I think with, you know, females, we've got a lot to consider. We've got menstrual cycles. We've got oral contraceptives. Um, we've got a whole load of things to kind of work through. Um but having said that, I do see men and they are still as attached to their hair as females. So it's uh, the consultations are quite similar. So I think this theory that men are not as attached, I think that's uh, it's not true. <laughs> oh, no. It's so much like part of our identity. Like, you, you know, I, I totally think that my hair is one of my features. So I can totally imagine how devastating it must be for women who, yeah, um, especially start having things like hair loss. And, and I, like, in, in your opinion, in your um, sort of work, what, what do you find are the biggest things that affect hair loss? Top of the list by far is nutritional deficiencies and pharmaceutical medications. So mm. the only reason we find those things out is because we investigate. And the majority of people I see that are on pharmaceuticals is incredible. So we have to consider it as part of the problem. You know, the issue is sometimes convincing their GPs is part of the problem. That isn't easy, especially when they're being given to treat something and it creates a problem on the scalp. Almost gives us a little bit of a hurdle to jump over when we come to make improvements. But if that's the culprit, it's very difficult to remove it and therefore to return the hair growing cycle to normal. And what sort, of, um, what sort of medication cause greatest amount of hair loss? Um, top of the list for us are generally medications given for anxiety, mental health issues, um, antifungals as well, blood pressure medications. Um, quite a, I see quite a lot of young guys who have taken things like Roaccutane, Accutane, and it's permanently affected the hair follicles on the scalp because it alters the way the follicles make oil, which comes from the sebaceous glands. So that comes up quite a lot. And because it permanently affects the follicle, it changes the texture of the hair. But those changes don't happen overnight. So the person that takes the pharmaceutical doesn't associate that with the, with the problem really. So, but yeah, we find there are many, many issues. And then we've got the issue with oral contraception with females. Every week I see it in my practice. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yep. Um, you are <laughs> definitely preaching to the converted, that's for sure. And Roaccutane is such and a horrible medication, just the side effects that go with it. And it's really scary that you're saying that it creates permanent changes to that hair follicle. to the texture of hair. Yeah. I'm sure that um, people are not sort of taught those things. 
Uh, and, you know, they're not even explained to that that may potentially be a side effect. But quite often with pharmaceuticals, unless it causes a disruption in the growing cycle, which is something called telogen effluvium, it's just a fancy name for hair shedding, which normally will start within two to four months of starting the pharmaceutical. That, in its true sense, is just a temporary disruption. So once the pharmaceutical has stopped, the cycle returns back to normal. However, if it's the pharmaceutical that's causing it, it becomes a chronic problem. Then we can't regulate the cycle. It takes longer to replace the hairs. And then we get the appearance of a balding scalp. So that's not female pattern balding, but it looks like that. And that's what we find in practice. Quite a lot of the hair loss problems look like each other. And it's not until you you examine the scalp that you realize that either we've got a crossover of problems, so more than one thing happening, which is very common, or we've got a chronic shedding issue that is being disrupted by a pharmaceutical. And unless they come off it, it's very difficult to return the hair to normal. And Jane, how often do you find um, genetics as a player in it? Obviously, you know, for a lot of the things, people just look to their family and just go, oh, yeah, well, dad had it, so of course I have it. Or, you know, my mum had this, so I must have it too, and that's why I have it. Do you think that stops people from investigating further, this concept of, oh, it's just genetic? I got asked this question the other day by a patient, and my response was, I never tell anybody they've got genetic hair loss. I don't even know what that means. Uh-huh. What does mean? So you generally find trichologists will use the correct term of the hair loss problem that they can see. So if it's telogen effluvium, that's what we call it. We don't call it alopecia. If it's male, if it's female patterned hair loss, that's what we call it. If it's diffused unpatterned hair loss, that's what we call it. So your genes do play a role, but to what significance will vary from person to person. You know, we find in clinical practice, well, certainly I do, the science doesn't marry up to what we find. Mm-hmm. It's almost like all of these things that we discover because we investigate doesn't doesn't you know like marry up with the science that's there that's coming from a medical background it's not everybody can have a genetic hair loss problem and if they do what's causing that then we have to look at environment compromising of the follicle due to chronic nutritional deficiencies pharmaceuticals they all play a role if they're there so yeah I never tell anybody they've got genetic hair loss (laughs) I love that. So we can debunk that straight away. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know what that means. I mean, it's like saying you've got a genetic problem with your elbow. It's like, well, what's that? You know, what does it mean? I think it, it's just, uh, yeah, it's used a lot, just like stress is used to describe a cause for somebody's hair loss. And, you know, yes, it will play a factor, but it's not high on the list of things I see. So, you know, it's a question we ask. I ask questions when they come in for their consultation. So how's your stress levels? And 99% of people say, well, I'm not really stressed. I, you know, I've got a busy life. And But overall, and it's not until we start investigating that we then find out they've got issues with vitamin D. They've got low ferritin stores. They've got high copper. These are all things that we find out in practice. 
Yeah. And so how, how, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) I was going to say, how do you find that out? Like what do do you do when someone comes in, you know, or obviously gone through a very thorough verbal consultation with them, you've had a chat um, Mm -hmm. and you've started to identify some flags there that, you know, give you clues into which direction you're going to go. Obviously, just like us as clinicians, we get that clinical feel. Okay, this is the way we're going to go. What do you generally do with people when you go, okay, cool, this sounds like something where we can work together with? What's the next step for someone once they've uh, identified things? So I will generally write to their GP Mm -hmm. and we request some blood tests. Generally, they do do them. We do get a few issues with some GPs occasionally. They refuse to complete the blood test. It's very tricky because at the end of the day, we want the best outcome for the patient. But for a small amount of GPs, they will just not do them. So it does create an obstacle. Um, but that doesn't happen in every case. You know, if there's a couple of blood tests missing, they're generally zinc and copper. Those are the ones that come up a lot. Um, but pretty much all the other ones are completed. So I do cherry pick my blood profiles depending on what's happening on the scalp, you know, taking into consideration somebody's lifestyle, um, if there's any weight gain if there's any unwanted body hair you know these are all the questions we ask whether they've got any body hair loss and then in my head I'm kind of working out what blood profiles to ask their GP to complete once they've done that I will see them for a follow-up appointment and then we have a chat about which ways we go about treating or managing the problem if it's a temporary issue which some hair loss problems are and it's been created by a pharmaceutical it puts us in a position where we're like it's another conversation with your GP just to make them aware that this may be part of the problem here so but it's very difficult yeah but you can see it's quite it's quite complex Absolutely. But I love how holistic it is. You know, you're taking into so many uh, factors that, you know, are often overlooked in a lot of different health problems, but I would say specifically in, you know, hair related problems, because most people don't think of the hair as an organ that expresses our health. You know, they often don't think of the hair being something that displays, um, you know, our inner health profile. So it's great that you were able to get those tests done so that people have more information, um, you know, providing with opportunities to actually take positive action, you know, for improvements what um what do you tend to find i guess you know in terms of common things that women come in for what are the most common things that you feel you know women come in for um with concerns regarding hair like what what's i guess i want to know what's the most common thing someone comes in for so the most common thing that people complain of is excess hair shedding okay there are many hair loss problems that begin like that So it's important not to just assume it's telogen effluvium, which is very, very common. That's just a disruption in the growing cycle. It happens postpartum when women have had babies. Um, It happens if you're ill, if you started or stopped a pharmaceutical, such as antibiotics, if you've been ill or if you've had a stressful period. So there are many, many causes for it. That in its true sense is a temporary problem. So within four to six months, the cycle has recovered. So these changes in terms of recovery don't happen overnight. But it's important to rule out that nothing else is happening on the scalp. So although that's a common problem, quite often we find a little bit of female pattern hair loss happening underneath. But because it's in its early stages, they can't see it yet. So in that sense, the telogen effluvium will never fully recover visually because we've got a progressive hair thinning pattern happening. So it's, it's, yeah, we find that quite a lot that people come in and we find multiple hair loss problems happening on the same scalp. 
and each one of them is behaving completely different. So without an expert eye, it just looks like hair loss. But when we go in and examine the follicles, they're behaving differently in each one. But yeah, top of the list is telogen effluvium and female pattern hair loss. Those are the top things. And Jane referred uh, a couple of times to the fact that, that dietary changes affect, you know, obviously hair growth. And what are the biggest things that you, you notice in terms of nutrient deficiencies that will change hair patterns? So top of the list for nutritional deficiencies is vitamin D. Yeah. 99.9% have a problem with it. Again, it's not a test that GPs initially check for if you go directly to your GP for a hair loss problem. Mm-hmm. But because it comes up pretty much every day, in my practice, it's something we check. So, And that interferes with the signaling and the follicle. Okay, so one of the jobs of vitamin D is for proliferation of the stem cells inside the follicle. So we have a bank of stem cells. Those stem cells make hair cells. So without that signaling, it can take longer to replace the hairs and it interferes with the hair growing cycle. Once that starts affecting multiple follicles on the scalp, you're going to end up with multiple lengths of hair. So, and, you know, for people with long hair like you, it can make your ponytail area look quite thin quite quickly. So that's top of the list. Then we've got things like ferritin stores. We do see a lot of high copper. That's generally for females that take oral contraceptives. It's incredibly high, which is why we get the zinc checked as well. So we don't necessarily check copper for copper deficiency. It doesn't come up a lot, but excess copper is very common. And then obviously it competes with zinc. So then we get a problem with zinc and zinc's required for so many processes in the body. And then, yeah, they just start competing with each other. Again, something like B12 will come up occasionally, Mm. but vitamin D, iron stores and high copper are the top three. Jane, I'm going to ask, what causes grey hair? Grey hair, again, copper, B12 deficiencies. Okay, yeah. Clinical studies have been done on that. Issues with the thyroid, so deficiencies in tyrosine, which is obviously amino acid. Yeah. Uh, it can be aging. You know, if somebody's no. <laughs> in their, in their late late teens, then we would generally check for copper and B12 deficiencies straight away. But by the time we're in our late 20s, early 30s, unfortunately, they will start popping up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's reasonable to have, to have some gray hair. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, oh, so here I should have been seeing you in my twenties. I started going grey in my early twenties, and I was like, "What?" And everyone's going, "Oh, because my dad went grey really early." Of course, you go grey. I'm like, "Oh." So I just put it down to genetics, right? He's that thing saying, "What are you talking about genetics?" So there's no genetics. It's uh, it's an answer for something. So that's really interesting. So we we can't really avoid the grey, unfortunately. Unfortunately, not. It would be great if we could, but yeah, we can't. Mm. So do you have then do you have an answer there about why some women retain natural colored hair for a prolonged period? You know, I've met women in their 50s who still don't have an ounce of gray hair and I'm like what what's going on there? Is there some like, you know, have they found the fountain just, of youth or <laughs> lucky okay. <I'm> just <laughs> yep. Yeah, I mean again, everybody's different in terms of how their hair ages. Mm. You know, there are many, many things that can cause premature aging and premature white hairs. And we've not even touched on environmental things, oxidative stress. They all accelerate aging on the scalp. And because hair isn't essential to the body, 
it's one of the fastest aging systems. So, and this is why when things are not quite right internally, it redirects everything away from the scalp. But those changes don't happen immediately. So they can take a long time to present themselves. So, and that's the time when people will seek help. And it's whether or not they come and see a trichologist to begin with. If they don't, they generally just go around the houses for months, even years, going from person to person looking for help. And then they suddenly find somebody like me. And I'm like, yeah, this is definitely what's happening. We should have picked it up a few years ago, but you're here now. So, yeah. yeah. What, are, what are women doing wrong? That's causing these problems. I know that obviously um, not having a balanced diet, adequate nutrition, but what else? Um, Again, we've got to look externally. So, you know, toxins in the house. Does that include, um, you know, like shampoos and conditioners and those sorts of things as well or not as much? Not really. They don't really work on a cellular level. I mean, you know, I find in practice my patients are either pro-chemical or anti-chemical. There's a <laughs> there. Some of them don't mind using chemicals in cleaning products, but others are completely against it really. And as long as your products are giving you the cosmetic appearance that you like, there's no need to change them really. But when we're looking at hair loss problems that we see nowadays there are so many factors to consider things that haven't even been studied i mean this new science coming through about what we find in quite a lot of progressive and chronic hair loss problems is they have an inflammatory nature to them and this isn't autoimmune conditions these are just basic hair loss problems like female pattern balding and when we examine the scalp we see these pink rings around the follicle you know, and the patient will describe that as hair pain, sporadic itching. So for people that present like that, we generally get them to remove things like seed oils from their diet straight away, which are pro-inflammatory. So we want to remove pro-inflammatory foods quite quickly, which is something you can implement straight after your appointment, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, sometimes we use antioxidants in supplements very cleverly to be able to reduce the inflammation so it has to be removed for the follicle to start working again to you know some extent but there are so many things we need to consider that just haven't been tapped into really and what kind of environmental stresses would you see that could be contributing to them so we've got obviously uv rays we've got pollution mm-hmm. Um, we've got, you know, free radicals. So if you imagine, uh, you know, a cell in the body, whether it be a hair cell or a cell that's going to, you know, make make a, you know, a cell for your elbow or your knee, they have to grow in a toxic-free environment and hair cells are not exempt from that. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the problems we see in practice is they happen out of sheer non-necessity. The, the hair on the scalp is not essential. So, and it's the first thing, you know, that will change. So, you know, it's it's almost like things that can affect cells in the body can affect hair cells as well. So, yeah, great. Jane, um, if you could give uh, like your three best tips mm. to women in terms of having, having a really healthy 
hair, preventing hair loss, plus preventing any of those inflammatory sort of processes, what would that be? So top of the list would be regular shampooing for okay. everyone. Yeah. It's, uh, it's such a controversial subject, you know. We have these quite a lot of myths in our industry about cleaning the hair. And I yep. see clinical practice, people come in and think the hair cleans itself. They put things up there that's like it's not, it's not going to help. So the scalp environment is where the hair grows from. Mm-hmm. So if that isn't optimal, then it's going to affect the quality of hair growth that you're getting. And it's quite common when people are losing their hair, they become fearful of touching the area because they associate shampooing with hair loss and they're not connected. Wow. So that top of the list for everybody I see. I try and encourage people to shampoo as frequently as possible. Um, again, just to get you out of the thinking that, A daily shampoo does the hair and scalp harm because it doesn't. It does the opposite. Um, Next thing would be to eat good sources of bioavailable protein. So red meat and eggs are top of the list. You know, the hair is made of protein. It's very important. We've got this really big vegan movement at the moment. Um, It's difficult with hair because, you know, we require those proteins, unfortunately. And at some point, it's going to start affecting the structure of the hair so it's important and then the third thing will always be to remove seed oils they're not great they're not great for the body never mind the hair follicles so that would be my three top tips and so jane just so that our listeners are super clear on that so you're talking about industrial seed oils like canola flour um grapeseed oil what other what others are left out there just generalized vegetable oils absolutely um, but but things like olive oil, coconut oil, oil avocado, like like damn it, those are all fine. All good. All good. Okay. Awesome. What what's your um daily kind of hair routine look like, Jane? Mine. Yeah. Shampoo condition every single day. Do you? Sometimes Gosh, on a Sunday because I'm not at working. I will wash it, but I probably won't blow dry it, especially if I'm not going out anywhere. Um, I normally uh, apply some form of topical stimulant to my scalp daily. Okay. Just more of an anti-aging product because obviously I'm aging. My hair will get thinner naturally. Um, they normally come in the form of peptides. So, again, we're just replacing information in the skin. Um, twice a week I do do something called laser phototherapy on my hair, which, again, it's not a new treatment. It's been around in our industry quite a long time. So, again, that's a stimulant for the stem cells. Just make sure there's no inflammation in the follicle repairing increasing blood supply and oxygen so because as we get older the hair growing cycle gets slower naturally so if you want great hair as you age you generally need to apply some form of stimulation to it yeah interesting jane is there any correlation i i heard um a very sort of left field study ages ago that um topical magnesium or high doses of internal um oral magnesium stimulates um sort of hair growth have you heard of anything along those lines no, sorry. No, okay. I'm going to have to find that source. And uh, if I find it, I'll send it to you. But ladies, uh, you, know, you know, chat with your grand of salt all of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, again, there's loads and loads of myths. There's loads of new science coming out as well in our industry. I think over the next 10 to 15 years, we're going to have a different approach to hair loss. You can see it coming through. But it's just, you know, in general, it's not a, a very well studied part of the body. You know, because mm. it's not, it isn't essential in the medical world. They just don't take it seriously, you know. But I think as the science comes through and we have a new approach to 
why people thin. I think this whole cosmetic aspect of hair loss will start coming through. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Jane, how can our um, listeners find out more about you? Where should they go? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram, Facebook. There's lots of information on my Instagram feed about how to keep your hair healthy, what's important. I've got some blogs on my website as well. Um, one that's the hairphysio.com.au. .au, absolutely. Yeah. There's a blog that gets read quite a lot about oral contraceptives and how that can influence hair growth and it lists all the ingredients that can antagonize hair follicles. So it just makes you a little bit aware and, you know, just so you're a little bit more prepared for a conversation with your GP if that's something you're considering. Because um, if there is any hair loss in your family, you probably want to avoid these things synthetic progestins that can potentially shrink the follicles on the scalp. Because once it's been triggered off, if it's not picked up early enough, it has to be it has to be managed. So, and that's a lifelong problem, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, Jane, you're totally speaking our language, and um, you're absolutely right. Your uh, Instagram is such a um, great resource as well. So, ladies, make sure you follow following Janet at the Hair Physio. Um, Jane, thanks so much for coming on, on Moon Radio. Uh, you have such a wealth of knowledge and it's so lovely to be on the show. Um, so, ladies, you, you have been listening to Wellness Women Radio. We are the Wellness Women, Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston. We are raising the bar for women's health. And until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.